Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we probe Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a first-century Jew. He was also, of course, the Son of God, that's to say, the supreme and final agent of his Father, the one God of Israel, The Son of God in the Bible is an equivalent term to the Messiah, which means the anointed King of Israel. Jesus is the last of the line of the kings of Israel. As I'm sure you know, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of our Bible, predicted always that ultimately God would send a perfect king to rule the world. Jesus claimed to be that king, that Messiah, that Son of God. He's the Son of God because of the miracle of creation which God brought about in the womb of his mother Mary. Luke 1.35 says it beautifully, Because of the supernatural conception of Jesus, he is to be called the Son of God. I recommend that you ponder those enormously important words of Gabriel the angel as he spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 to 35. Gabriel, the angel, began by telling Mary that she was to be the mother of the one to whom God would give the throne of his father David. That's to say, Jesus is to be the Messiah. He's the recipient of the throne promised to his father David in perpetuity. That was under the great contract or covenant made with David. And you read about that in 2 Samuel 7. These are essential building blocks in your Bible study These passages I mentioned in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7, give you the blueprint for salvation, and the New Testament works out of that blueprint. I've been saying many times in this series of programs that it's absolutely essential for intelligent Bible study to have an overall picture of what God is doing. The Bible is a single story from Genesis to Revelation. Often, I think, in Sunday school experience, we learned bits and pieces of the Bible. We knew individual stories. We knew about David and Goliath, for example. We knew about Solomon and his many wives. But did we really understand how those events in the Old Testament history linked to Jesus? Did we fully understand how the Old Testament connected to the work and the words of Jesus Christ? Or were they simply then isolated stories unattached to the work of Jesus Christ. Many Christians, I think, are trying to read the New Testament without an adequate preparation in the Old Testament. If you want to make sense of the Bible, you must get the overall picture. You must have an overview of what God is working out in history. The Bible reveals God's plan, His mind, His purpose, His intention, and that intention is summed up in the Gospel about the kingdom of God which Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is the objective of the Christian faith. When you die, you don't go to heaven, as is popularly taught. The Bible has nothing to say about going to heaven when you die. It says everything about inheriting the kingdom and inheriting the earth or the land when Jesus comes back. Matthew 5, verse 5 and Revelation 5, verse 10 give you a beautiful summary of the biblical story and the Christian objective. In Matthew 5 and verse 5, Jesus uttered these wonderful words. Blessed are the meek, he said, those who have Christian meekness and 
gentleness of character, they are going to have the land as their inheritance. They're going to possess the land. Now, any Jew reading that passage from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, verse 5, would recognize immediately the connection with the entirety of the Old Testament. The promise of the land in perpetuity was indeed the backbone of everything which God had promised to his people. Right from the beginning of the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, we find the land promise to be the bedrock guarantee, the oath-bound covenant on which all of God's dealings with Israel, his people, were based. That land promise was sung about in the Psalms. It was constantly brought to the remembrance of the people of God as they looked forward to that day coming when indeed they would inherit the land. Jesus came along claiming to be the Messiah, the King of the kingdom or the King of the land, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And immediately in his teaching he said, Blessed are those who develop meekness of character. They are the ones who are going to possess the land. You'll notice that Jesus didn't say, Blessed are the meek, they're going to go off to heaven, to a region in the sky somehow, the moment they die. Departure to the sky as a disembodied soul is completely foreign to Scripture. May I make a suggestion to you, based on my own experience and the experience of many other Bible readers, try giving up the notion that heaven is the reward of the faithful. Give that up and test the hypothesis. Read the Bible again and think of the reward of the Christian as rulership in the kingdom of God on the earth when Jesus returns. There's only one way out of death, and that's to awake from the sleep of death via resurrection. You cannot bypass resurrection, and resurrection will not occur until Jesus returns. That's why in conjunction with Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance, Revelation 5, verse 10 is a companion verse. That text in Revelation 5, verse 10, states with complete clarity the fact that the saints drawn from all the nations, are destined to rule as kings upon the earth. That doesn't sound like disappearance to heaven. Why do we speak of heaven as though the skies are objective when the Bible constantly speaks of the land renewed, the kingdom of God upon the earth, when Jesus returns to establish it in Jerusalem and to take up his position on the throne of David as promised by all the prophets? What I'm suggesting to you is simply this, that in Jesus' great utterance in Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, they're going to have the land as their inheritance. In that great utterance, you have a wonderful clue to the connection between the teaching of Jesus and his gospel and the Old Testament revelation in which God promised the land indeed in perpetuity to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to all the faithful. He promised the land and the kingdom indeed to David, and he promised it to Jesus also. Go back to the original promise made to Abraham. It's the promise of the seed and the soil. That's to say the distinguished descendant of Abraham and the land over which he's going to rule. That distinguished descendant of Abraham, according to Galatians 3 verse 16, is the Messiah Jesus. It was to the Messiah Jesus, the descendant of Abraham and David, that this great land promise was made. The land promise, in other words, was made not only to Abraham 
it was made to the seed of Abraham, the distinguished descendant who is Jesus Christ. But that seed, who is Christ, is also a corporate figure. Jesus Christ, being a generous and gracious king, shares that kingdom inheritance, that land inheritance, with his people. And so Paul can say a few verses later in Galatians 3, in Galatians 3.29, If you are a Christian, you then are reckoned as the descendants of Abraham, and you become heirs of the promises made to Abraham. And so the land promise, the promise of the soil in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, those great and grand promises on which the whole of the biblical story is built, those promises are for Abraham, therefore Jesus, and they're also for you. Let me read that verse again, Galatians 3.29. If you're a Christian, then you count as Abraham's descendants, and you are heirs of the promise made to Abraham. And what exactly was that promise made to Abraham? Well, clearly the land of Canaan in perpetuity. And in Romans 4, verse 13, Paul extends that promise to cover the entirety of the world. If you own the land of Canaan, that's to say the land of Palestine, where the kingdom will have its headquarters in Jerusalem, then automatically you own the world because the kingdom based in Jerusalem will extend its effects and its benefits and influence to the four corners of the earth. And so Paul in Romans 4.13 says that the promise to Abraham was that he would be the heir or the inheritor of the world. You see how that ties in with Jesus' statement, blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth or the land as their inheritance. And when Jesus quoted that verse from Psalm 37 verse 11, he was simply echoing and reconfirming the great land promises made to Abraham. Jesus, you see, according to Paul, simply came to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. That's another key verse in your Bible study, Romans 15, verse 8. The gospel, indeed, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of salvation, which we must believe if we want to be saved, if we want to become an heir of these great promises, that gospel was indeed preached beforehand to Abraham. That's what Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 9. Let me summarize my findings here and suggest that if you want to get the overall, overarching, and undergirding story of the Bible, you must begin by reading the story of Abraham and see what it was that God promised to him and to his seed, the promise indeed of the seed and the soil. You must then examine the covenant made with David in 2 Samuel 7 and then study the teaching of Jesus as the one who came to confirm those grand promises. Galatians 3.16 tells us that Jesus is the recipient of the land promise. Galatians 3.29 tells you that you can be a recipient of the land promise if you're a Christian. And Romans 15 verse 8 tells you that Jesus came as a minister to Israel to confirm the great promises made to the patriarchs. But you as a Gentile can become grafted into that great heritage of Israel. You become a recipient of the land promise as Abraham was and as Jesus Christ was. I sometimes hear it said that Jesus is the kingdom. Now that's an impossible thing. You cannot be your own inheritance. Jesus is the recipient of the land promise of the kingdom. Let me read it to you in Galatians 3 in verses 18 and 19. 
Paul there says, if the inheritance, that's to say the inheritance of the land, is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise, but God granted it, the promise of the inheritance, that is, to Abraham by means of a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. And that seed, of course, was Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The promise of the land was made to Jesus Christ. He's the one who is destined to inherit the promises. That's why he can say to his followers, If you're meek like me, you also will receive the promise of the land. Matthew 5, verse 5. We might say that the great story of the Bible is simply this. The great God of heaven and earth, the one God of Israel, the Father of Jesus, is engaged in Operation Kingdom. God's intention from the beginning has been to restore peace and sound government to this tortured earth of ours. He's going to revolutionize world affairs by sending his son back to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That's the kingdom for which we're praying, thy kingdom come. God's intention is to have his people in power in his place. God's people are the Christian faithful of all the ages. God's place is not heaven or the sky, a place removed from this earth. It's the renewed planet, the earth, which is going to be the scene of the kingdom of God. And the earth, therefore, is the destination of the Christian and the objective of all Christian effort. I've written a book on the kingdom of God, which we'd like to send you free for your own personal Bible study at home, or you can request a tape of the program you've been listening to and an article entitled Abraham and the Covenant. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.